Well, good morning. I hope you're doing well. We're starting a new series today called Following. What does it mean to be a disciple? And today we're going to try to answer that question as we talk about there has to be more to life. You know, I think the feeling first hit me when I was in junior high, when I was in middle school. It, I never experienced it before that I can remember, but afterwards I know I felt this feeling many times. It, it happened on a summer morning when the phone rang at my house. And we got the terrible news. Tony, a kid that was in youth group with me, who was the same exact age as me, tragically died the night before. I can't say that Tony and I were super close, but we were in youth group together. And I remembered at that morning, just a few weeks earlier, we had a youth group scavenger hunt. And I ran to my room and found the pictures of that night. You know, when we were on the same team and we ran the mall or we ran through the neighborhoods, we were climbing ladders to get all the crazy pictures of the stuff that we were trying to find as I was trying to wrestle with the realization that Tony was gone. And then that moment, it just hit me. I, I can't say I ever felt it before, but I can tell you this feeling I felt that morning hit me over and over again many times throughout my life since then. And that feeling is, there has to be more than this. There has to be more to life than this. You know, something that just whispers in the depths of my soul, in the pit of my stomach, an ache that just won't go away, a message in my mind that just won't stop. And it comes down to this, there has to be more. And for me, it was, I need to know who God is. I need to know who God is to me. Who is, he, who is he as the creator of everything that is? And what does that mean? What does it mean for my life and my, the choice that, that I make? And as a Christian, you know, I want to be close to him. I want to follow him. I want to be in his presence. I just can't stop thinking that if I'm really honest with that, it scares me to death. It scares me to death to have a desire to be in his presence because God is perfect. God is holy. He's all-powerful. He's the creator of the universe. And to get close to him, you know what it does? It just magnifies the reality for me of my own imperfections, my own brokenness, my own weakness, my sins, my pain, my fears, my feeble efforts that are never good enough. But the crazy thing is I try to explore him more, and as I come to the more of the realization that I'm not good enough, I come to the truth of who God is and what he ultimately desires, and that is he wants to be close to me too. And he wants to be close to you. Above all else, in my quest that there has to be more to life, that's the answer I found. That ultimately the God, the creator of everything is, wants to be close to you. Wants to be close to me. I mean, think about it. This God loves you and I so much that he sent his one and only son in this awful, horrific, terrible world that is just broken to not just live with us, but ultimately die the most gruesome death known to man. You see, all of history points to that cross. Everything from the beginning of time in the Old Testament in the early days points to the reality that we need a Savior. And from that point on, everything in history of mankind points back to the reality we need a Savior. And oh, by the way, it was the cross. The cross is the centerpiece of the reality of mankind. And it shouts out, 
from the rooftops God's deepest desire, I want to be near to you. I want to be near to you. We read this verse a couple weeks ago, but let me read it again in James chapter 4, verse 8. James writes these words, come near to God and he will come near to you. Those words are a challenge, a, a, a direction for us to walk, but also a promise. So often I hear people say, Bill, you know, I've been trying. I don't really hear God. I'm not experiencing God. I don't feel God. But in reality, the more I talk to them, the, the more I find out that they're trying to live life their way. They're not really coming near to God. When God says all throughout Scripture, come near to me and I will come near to you. You know, that promise is this. If you come near to me, you'll experience me. But so often we don't walk towards him. You see, Jesus is saying in his word that when you walk towards me, guess what? I'm walking towards you. But then when you choose, I'm going to walk away from you. I'm going to kind of, I may want to try to, your, to have you give you the life that you provide for me, but I'm going to live life my way. I'm going to walk my way. It's not that God turns around and walks away. He just kind of stops. He just kind of stops. Hey, I'm here. I didn't go anywhere. Where are you going? What's going on in your life? If you just come near to me, I'll come near to you. Because ultimately, in the heartbeat of God, is his desire for a relationship with you. And that's the heart of a disciple. This is what this journey that we're about to take together is all about. In this most basic understanding, a disciple is a follower. It's a follower. Uh, we, we all follow something. Whether you realize it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, you are a follower of something that shapes your worldview, that shapes how you see things, that shapes the choices you make, the lifestyle you commit yourself to. Whatever it might be, you have a worldview. Uh, I'm sorry, you follow something that shapes your worldview that is shaping you, whether it's your political views, whether it's some opinionated news show, whether it's your sports teams, whether it's your, your, your job, your hobbies, whatever it may be, we all follow something. And Jesus says, I want you to follow me. You know, we're all on this quest of identifying who God is to me and what that means. That's the journey of life. And because we shape our worldview based upon whatever it is we follow, we all come to this sense of believing from our worldview what is common sense. And we think, well, why aren't people just living life this way? Why aren't people just making this choice? Or, or maybe you're on the other spectrum and you're thinking, boy, we live in a new world, a new society. It's just the way it is today. And don't you just get it? And it becomes our common sense. And we wonder, why does nobody else have common sense? But really, what is common sense? I mean, let's be honest. What does that mean? What does it mean to have common sense? Because ultimately, your common sense is usually based upon your worldview, based upon what you have chosen to follow. You following me? Oh, I'm getting lost in my own head. Barry Cameron is a pastor, author. He spoke here at our church a couple times uh, a little while ago. He recently made this quote. If common sense really was, we wouldn't be in the mess we find ourselves today. Do what God says to do, even when it doesn't make sense, because it will. So often we're like, it just doesn't make sense what you're asking me to do, God. But here's the reality. God's ways will never make sense to you 
until you do what God says, come near to me. Until that happens, you'll always be on the outside looking in, saying it just doesn't make sense. I just don't get it. I just don't feel it. I just don't understand it. When all the while God's standing right here, I didn't go anywhere. I'm just waiting for you to come near to me, to experience me. You know, following, to be a, a disciple, is to be a learner. We are learning from something or someone else that's shaping who we are. And when Jesus and the Apostle Paul in the New Testament talk about what it means to be a disciple, they're talking about someone who accepts Jesus, who follows Jesus in his teaching and his, his guidance for a life and what that means. You know, all throughout the New Testament, we see what it means to follow Jesus. And it's by no mistake, I believe, the word disciple, how often is used throughout the New Testament. You see, so often today we think, oh, if you just become a Christian, if you just become a believer. But the reality is, Jesus never di did not die on the cross just to make us mere believers. He died on the cross to make us followers. That's what he desires. And it's not by any mistake that Christ the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. The word believer to describe us is only used two times. But the word disciple is used 269 times throughout the New Testament. What's the Bible teaching us? That we are called to be disciples, not just believers. There's a significant difference between the two. And a disciple is someone who believes in something that drives into a deeper relationship. You know, I love the gospel stories when Jesus began his journey with calling the disciples. In Matthew 4, we see this journey begin as he approached uh, Simon Peter and Andrew and their office space that was their fishing boat. And there they came upon these gentlemen. And later on, he came across James, son of Zebedee, and John. And he called them too. But he approached their place of business. And he called out in, James, in Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Here's the most amazing thing about what's going on here. These guys are at work. And Jesus went to their place of work and told them, drop it all and come with me. That's crazy. You know, we expect, okay, Jesus, I'm going to come to church and I'll meet you there. But God's saying, no, I want to come to your place of work. I want to come to your office. I want to come to your cubicle. I want to come to the car you drive throughout the week. Whatever your place of work is, whatever your lifestyle is throughout the week, God wants to meet you there. And it's in that place God's saying, will you follow me? Will you follow me? See, it's easy here. We all are here for the same purpose. But out there, where we say, I need my job because I need to take care of myself. I, I need to go this path because it's me, it's me, it's me. I need to do this. And God's saying, no, that's where I want you. That's who I want. I want your heart. Will you come follow me? You see, to follow Jesus begins with a deliberate choice. At some point, we need to make the choice, I'm choosing to follow. It will never happen until you make the choice in your head, I am going to do this. I need to take this step. I need to make the move. God came near to me, he came to the cross. 
And now he's waiting for me, just like James and John and Peter and all those other people we read about who made the deliberate choice, I'm dropping my nets. The crazy thing with those guys in their office space, they dropped everything in that moment and walked with Jesus. They dropped their nets and they had no idea, wait a minute, how are we going to pay for food tomorrow? How are we going to get by in life if I'm not taking care of myself when in that moment they were admitting, God, I'm nothing without you. You are my provider. You are my protector. You are the one I'm supposed to follow. And whether we know it or not, we deliberately choose to follow something. We all do. Just like Simon, Peter, and Andrew, they made the deliberate choice to follow Jesus that day. And like I said, it starts with the head choice. At some point, you need to make the choice within your own mind, I'm following him. You know how we would describe that? I am making the deliberate choice that Jesus is my Lord. He's my Lord. And can I just be real with you for a moment? What concerns me is that we've created a generation of Christians who simply view Jesus as their Savior. Don't get me wrong. That's not a bad thing. Jesus is our Savior. But, but we've downgraded our view of God to God, just save me. Let me live life my way and just keep me out of hell. And that's how we've begun to view Jesus and who he has become to us. And this shapes our worldview of who God is. He's more like a lucky charm in our back pocket. You know, when things don't go our way, God, can you save me? You're more my inspiration than you are my guide. Will you just save me? See, but Jesus saved us. Why? So that he can become Lord of your life. And we need to be careful that we don't adjust our view of God, adjust our worldview of Christianity, that God's more of an inspiration, a God's just more of someone who just is there to save us, keep us out of hell, than he is guiding our life. There's a big difference with that. When I was younger, I gave my life to Jesus as Savior when I was nine years old. I remember it clear as day. I remember sitting in the back of my parents' car, looking up to the night sky, seeing the stars, and all of a sudden it hit me. It hit me that I think there's something more up there. I don't know what all that something more is, but I don't want to miss out on it, whatever that is. And then I gave my life to Jesus, and my dad baptized me a couple days later at a revival at our home church. But I need to be real with you. Jesus was my Savior, but he wasn't my Lord. I was a punk, snot-nosed teenage kid. I'm just being real. I was prideful, arrogant. I was a jerk. You would not like me. You probably don't like me still. It's, I get it. I made all the stupid choices, and because of my pride and my arrogance, being popular was the most important thing to me. That was number one. I went to church, I went to youth group regularly, and I was that bill. And then I went to school, and I was with my <clears throat> buddies at school, and then I was that bill. And those two bills didn't know each other too well. They were two different people. And at school, it was all about... How can I get more friends? How can I be popular? How can I look cool? You know, how can I do this? How can I do that? And I was getting into high school, did the party scene, and all the stupid teenager stuff. 
until my sophomore year. And I was doing the stupid, stupid teenager, stu- teenager stuff. I was at a party. I left the party. Got in a car accident. Because of the stupid teenager stuff I was involving myself in. And it just hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Bill, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, are those really your friends? Is this really the life you want? Now you have to go home and tell your parents why the car's all banged up. That was not a fun evening. You know, the next morning I had to come to the realization, I got to make a change. I don't want that life. And it was that day, that next day, when I made the deliberate choice, God, you got to be my guide. You got to be my Lord. And that needs to be the deliberate choice within our own mind. I hope in the Ruta experience, you really, those of you who are plugged into that, that you really pour yourself into it and you have a story too. What a great opportunity as you go through Rooted that you share your story and you hear each other's story. You know why? Because those stories will encourage you and your story will encourage others to draw closer to God. See, our story is not of guilt. Our story is the realization of God speaking into our life and guiding us towards him. You have a powerful story. Don't hide it. Share it. Share it. See what God's doing. But in your journey, there needs to be a time when we accept the truth of God, accept the realization of who Jesus is. He's not just our Savior. He wants to be Lord of our life. He wants to be our guide. You know, he wants to direct our path. Another story of a person who really wanted to give their life to Jesus in the New Testament and be a disciple was this guy we only know as the rich young ruler. It happened a few chapters later in Matthew, Matthew chapter 19. You can read about that story. But this man who was rich, he was wealthy, he had everything you could possibly imagine for a young man in the day and age at that time. And he saw Jesus coming down the street and he approached Jesus. And I can see as I read the story, his pride and his arrogance just kind of welling up within him. As he approached the Son of God, the guy that was about to die one day for their sins, and says, Jesus, hey, look at me. I've done all this stuff. And he and Jesus begin to converse back and forth. I've, I've, I've kept all the commandments. I go to church every weekend. I mean, I'm doing pretty good. So what do I lack? That's Matthew nineteen twenty. He looks in the eyes of God, in the eyes of Jesus. Jesus, what do I still lack? I mean, look at all the good things I've done. Look at my church attendance. I'm a pretty good person. And I believe he began to reveal his heart in this moment. I believe he began to reveal a heart that we all tend to have. You know, he looked at Jesus, and I think as I read the story, I can't help but believe and see a man that was trying to say, Jesus, this is the opportunity in front of all these people for you, the Messiah, to say, dude, rich young ruler, you are the cream of the crop. I mean, you've got great church attendance. You are doing all the right stuff. You're serving. I mean, you follow all the commandments. I mean, you truly are amazing. I mean, I couldn't find a better disciple than you. I can just see within this young man the pride and the arrogance trying to pull Jesus into that, into that kind of 
focus. But then Jesus looks right through his eyes into his heart. And he knows the man's heart. He knows the pride and the arrogance. You see, sin, the bottom line of sin is pride and arrogance. And he sees right through it. He says, ha, there's something you do lack. You need to sell everything you have. You need to give it all up. Give away all your possessions. Then come and follow me. And this young man walked away in guilt, disappointment, and frustration. He was looking for an attaboy, a pat on the back. And Jesus says, ah, you know, I don't have your heart. You might be doing all the right stuff, but I don't got your heart. And that's what matters most. All that right stuff means nothing if I don't have your heart. And I think Jesus looks into our heart as well. Does he have your heart? Or are you just going through the motions like that man? Are you just going through those motions? You know, our focus is, tends to be so more about let me live my life. Let me enjoy the life I want. It's all about me, myself, and I. And Jesus, oh, by the way, can you just kind of help not let the bad stuff happen? Keep me from going to hell? Can you just be my lucky charm? And Jesus says, I want to be your Lord. I want your heart. But still, let's look at the rich young ruler. I mean, he came to Jesus with a very important question. I don't think the question was bad. I think the question is the question that we should ask too. Jesus, what's something I lack? What's something within my, within my life that is, is kind of, I'm off the rockers. I'm kind of out of line. Where, where do I need to get straightened out? But see, here's the problem. The rich young ruler, he came with the right question, but the wrong motives. And I think so often we approach Jesus the same way and we have a disconnect with him. We miss out on him because we come to Jesus with the proper questions but the wrong motives. We're more focused on Jesus. Can you answer this question? Why? Because I want you to approve the life I want rather than me following you. That's the heartbeat of what the rich young ruler was going after. That's what Jesus saw. You're just trying to get me to approve the life you want. And you're not willing to follow me fully. And we are not coming near to God if we're trying to come to God with the right question, wrong motives. God, just tell me, what, what's one more thing I could do in my life to come closer to you, to make it, to, to keep me out of hell? When God says, the one thing I need is your heart. That's it. That's the whole shebang. I want your heart. And for the rich young ruler, his heart was his possessions. And because other things have our heart, because there may be other things that have your heart, we tend not to follow. We hold back from making that deliberate choice. Jesus, I'm following you. I'm walking with you. You are my everything. What's the one thing you lack? Meaning, what's, what has your heart? What has your heart? What's that one thing deep down, if you're honest with yourself, you know you need to let go because you're not experiencing God, but you're just unwilling to let go? What has your heart? You know what this really boils down to? It's one of these big, fancy church words. 
repentance. We don't like to talk about repentance much, but I think in our journey with Jesus, it's probably the one where we struggle the most as, as a people group. And I'm not just saying our generation, I'm saying generation of all mankind. You know, we give our lives to Jesus, we get baptized, you know, we, we say all the right things, we serve, we do the right things, but we still live life our way. We still go home and make choices that are opposite the heart of God and more towards my heart. When Jesus is saying, that's it, that's what I want. I want that part of you. I want that part of you that's in your cubicle. I want that part of you that's whatever you're doing on Friday night. I want that part of you. That's the part you're hiding from me. And I want it. Because for you to experience me, you need to repent. Repentance is that act of coming near to God. It's when we don't repent, we're walking towards our own heart, what we desire. But when we repent, we turn around. And then that's, in that moment is when we come near to God. And here's a beautiful thing. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you. That's what he told uh, Peter and, and Andrew and all those guys. Come to me, your job, and then he reveals his job and his promise. I will make you. I will do something amazing in your heart. I will do something spectacular in your life. But you will never experience it until you follow me, until you come near to me. You see, when you follow Jesus, he will transform your heart. He will transform your life. When you come near to God, he will come near to you. And we constantly assume that if I just change this, then I'll get it all right. And then what happens is this. Here's the problem. We see, deep down we know, the life that God calls us to live. The standards, the morality standards that he tells us to live by. And then we try to do it on our own. We try to make the choices on our own. We try to make the right choices by ourselves. And then what happens is we see this big gap. That begins to happen. Why? We begin to see the impossibilities. I can't live that way. That's too high of a standard. I can't do this. You're right. You cannot. That's why God says, come near to me. I will transform you. I will renew your mind. Just come near to me. That's the journey with Jesus. Jesus said these words in John 14, um, 6. And we sang about these words just a moment ago. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Guys, these are powerful words. And right here, Jesus gave the pathway towards coming near to him. Let's break this down a little bit. See, Jesus said, follow me. And right here, he gave the pathway of following him to come near to him. The first is, he is the truth. We need to see Jesus as the truth. Well, what does that mean? We need to spend time in his word. The Bible says that his word, the Bible, is living and active. You know what that means? Every time you open that Bible and you read the pages that are in that Bible and you seek the heart of God, it's living and active and he will speak to you. One of the biggest mistakes that Christians do is they think, well, I read that story before. I know that story. I don't care if you've read that story a million times. Every time I get into the Bible and I read a story that I may have read a thousand times, 
it's awesome. Boom, God spoke something new to me that I missed the thousand times before that I read it. God is living in those pages. If you just seek him, seek him in his word. Do your daily devos. Get into the Bible. If you're in the rooted experience, that's why those devotions are so valuable. Do them. Don't miss them. The more you, the more you pour into it, the more he's going to pour into you. That's how important it is. Spend time in his word. And then when you come across things that I don't get this, and you will, and if you don't, you might be showing a little bit of pride because we're not God. You know, God is much greater than us. And there's many things I read the Bible and I'm still like, I don't get this. I just don't understand it. Maybe one day he'll show it to me. But when that happens, that's when we surround ourselves with our growth group, with people who will support us, who could journey together, who will, let's try to figure this out together. But we need to spend time in his truth. His truth is not there just to inspire us. His truth is there to guide us. And then when we take his truth, he is the way. What does that mean? That means that I take his truth, and now I'm going to apply his truth into my life. I'm not just coming to church and like, boy, that was a great service, Bill. You rocked it out. Okay, let's go catch the Steelers game. You know, it's not that, boy, I had a great Devo to get today, and boy, it was pretty awesome. You know, every time I read the Bible, every time I listen to a, a preacher or a teacher, I'm trying to think through, okay, what's, what's God speaking to me right now? And sometimes like, oh man, did God just nail me. And in that moment, I need to figure out how am I going to apply that to my life? What's a choice I've been making that, you know what, it wasn't the right choice? How have I been treating people that, you know what, it's not the way God wants me to treat them. And I need to figure that out. You see, when we read his truth, then we need to apply his truth as the way. And everything we do, every choice we make, every attitude we have, every time we interact with somebody else, it should be a representation of his truth that should be guiding our life. That should be our constant question. Because he is the way. And then he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You see, when you get into his truth, and you apply his truth into your life as the way, then you will experience his life. That's coming near to God. When you come near to God, he will come near to you. You experience life in a whole new way. Jesus says, I will make you, I will give you my life. In John 10, 10, it's written, Jesus said this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, the thief is the devil. And the devil's job is to steal you away from Jesus. And he's going to manipulate your mind and your heart, twisting the truth and adjusting your worldview to pull you away from the reality of who God is. And then when that happens and we lower the standard of who God is, he's no longer Lord. He's now just merely a savior. And then I can kind of live life my way and just keep me out of hell. And then we can start lowering, lowering, lowering. We miss out on the reality of who God is. And then God says, will you just come near to me? I want to give you life to the fullest. I give you life more abundantly. That's the life transformation that he wants to do in your life. The Apostle Paul writes about this, the life transformation in Romans 12 uh, verse 2. It's written, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will, is, will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
You see, Paul says here exactly what Jesus was saying. You know, when we come near to God, God will transform our hearts and our minds. He is the God that can renew your mind. You're saying, I can't overcome this stronghold in my life. I can't overcome this sin. I can't overcome these thoughts that gravitate my heart, that pull my heart. You can't do them on your own. But I serve a God who can renew your minds. I serve a God who can make the impossible possible. And we never experience it until we come near to him. Then he does his work. But the devil is trying to manipulate us. He is the thief trying to pull our hearts and our minds away from the God, the creator of everything that is. Don't conform to this world. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, Paul says, because that's the thief working in our life. But God wants to transform your heart. But please know this. When we give our lives to Jesus, like Peter and John and the others who dropped their nets that day, God calls us to something. You see, we don't serve a God. We don't serve, a, this is not a journey that's me-focused. As we get closer and closer to Jesus, it moves beyond me to others. You see, as a follower of Jesus, you are his ambassador in this world. That's what we're called to do. As followers of Jesus, we're called to a mission. That's what a disciple is. We follow to become more like him. We are called to be his ambassadors. We are called to be his light. And let me tell you something. That means how you treat people matters. How you conduct yourself in this world, in your office space, in your community matters. You know why? Because you are Jesus' ambassador. An ambassador is the representation of a nation in another nation. And we are God's ambassadors in this world of his kingdom. You may be the only light someone sees. Don't mess it up. That's a big calling, isn't it? We'll mess it up sometimes. But we need to do everything possible that we represent him well. See, the Apostle Paul put it this way in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That was a whole lot of stuff. Let me kind of break it down for you really quickly. In a nutshell, Jesus came to the world. Why? To give us the opportunity to be reconciled with God, so that we had the opportunity to be right with God. He died on the cross to give us that opportunity to come near to him, because, because of our own sin, because of our own poor choices, we've separated that. And so he did the work to come to us, to reconcile to us. And then he said, okay, now you're following me, you have a job. You're now my ambassador in this world. You are my plan A to help others in this world to be reconciled with me. You see, when we make our focus about debating people, about different opinions or thoughts or worldviews, the devil's winning. The devil is winning. But when we make our focus, how can I be a light in this person's life? 
How can I be God's ambassador in this life? How can I help this person be reconciled with God? We kick Satan to the curb and the kingdom wins. Our focus should be kingdom focused. That's how we can change the world. That's how we can transform lives. That's the job that God gave to us. I came to reconcile you with God, the Father. And now I'm asking you to be my ambassador in this world, to help all those that you come into contact with to be reconciled with me. You see, more to life is moving beyond ourselves and experiencing God and helping others to experience him. But we have a choice. Like I said, we all have to make a deliberate choice. Either walk towards him, come near to him, or go on our path. We can be like the rich young ruler. We can, when we approach God and we ask him, okay, what am I lacking? And he reveals the true reality of our heart, the pride that has our heart. You know, we can be like the rich young ruler who basically said, you know what, Jesus? Forget you. That's too much. I don't want that. I just want you to kind of keep me out of hell and give me the life I want. And I'm going to live it my way. And we can walk away from Jesus disappointed and frustrated with him. And I promise you that's going to just lead to more life of frustration. Or we can be like Peter and John and James and Andrew and the other other gang members. Not gang members, that's probably... You catch my drift, right? The other guys who followed Jesus that day. Who dropped everything. They didn't know how it all worked out. They didn't have all the answers. But they knew the one they, they were about to follow did. It didn't make sense. But when they journeyed with him, he made all the sense. And because of it, no matter what happened around them, It wasn't a life of frustrations and disappointment. It was a fulfilling life. There's more to life, my friends. But which path are you going to choose to follow? Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. If you'll just walk with him, come near to him, you can experience the life that he has promised. Let's pray together. Father, in this moment we draw towards you. Lord, in this moment, we seek you. Father, I know for so many of us so often, we want what you provide, but we want to live life our way. And it just leaves us disappointed. But Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray right now for each person in this room, each person watching us online, Father, that For those that have not made it a habit in their life, that they will seek your truth, that that will become a habit in their life, that they will spend time in your word on a daily basis, that they will surround themselves with godly people that will guide them towards your heart, not influences that will pull them away. And Lord, as they dig into your word, may your word reveal itself to to them. And may we not just listen to you, but may we apply your truth into our life, that we will follow you fully, that you will not just show us the bad choices we may be making, but that we will then see that and make the next right choice in our journey with you. And that through this, we may experience the life that only you provide. Lord, may we just come near to you and we ask that you come near to us. In your name we pray, amen.